0: what's going on podcasting world welcome back to another episode of the core consult rx podcast after a long hiatus, I feel like. Just a small hiatus. It, was, it feels like we haven't done this in forever. Well,
1: something happened in the last couple of weeks that has not happened in a long time. What happened? I'm not talking about a presidential election.
0: Mike that, went on vacation. Oh, yeah. I did do that. <laughs> I was like, where are we going with this? Yes, I did. They're few and far between. They are. I'm, I feel like it was It was fun. <laughs> so, I think I might do more often Might now. do that again. Yeah. It so was, it's a lot better than...
1: Turns out it was enjoyable. Studying for 12 hours for those seven days or 10 days or yeah, whatever it was. well... <laughs>
0: Yeah. You know? So I that one, checked out Grenada. Nice. And uh, it turns out they have much better water and cleaner beaches than we do. Who knew?
1: <laughs> Most beaches are cleaner than Charleston that's beaches, That's a good I point, think, but you know? yeah. The, uh, Not to say, well, actually, I, we probably, you know, we should tell everybody that they're really crappy beaches and then maybe we'll get less visitors. That's true. And there'll be less traffic.
0: I don't, I think they know the beaches suck and they're still going to come here. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Because it's definitely, uh, yeah, this traffic's getting out of hand. Yeah but um yeah so we're back at it mm-hmm. and uh hopefully you know we'll get back on track with releasing these things yep. it's
1: just us two today yes the last few episodes we've had special guests
0: right so we figured you guys were ready for another more clinical episode and uh
1: ready to hear us morons talk for yeah another you know half just, hour i
0: know you guys like our soothing voices so <laughs> judging by the itunes comments so <laughs> sweet sounds of yeah corvino. for sure well so we're uh gonna do you wanna jump through another disease state today we're gonna to do one of our like kind of broad overviews and then maybe and another day we'll dive deeper into one specific class or something i'm but surprised we haven't done this one yet agreed i thought we had for sure and then uh cole since he's the keeper of the the past podcast episodes and you know because i know i'm the keeper of the past yes i like that title that's a good title um but i realized we hadn't done rheumatoid arthritis yet nope so, yeah, rheumatoid arthritis. We're going to go through that today. We'll go through some you know some background information like we always do and then um, kind of get into the treatment options and then like I said it's, there's a lot of different drugs especially when we get into the biologics. So Are you ready uh, for the pronunciations? I I'm, Are you just going brand name the, only? The thing, ooh, good call. Mm-hmm. We might just do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to see because I thought of them you know, I end up just going brand name only, but I know it embarrasses me, but I like to just take them on and, and see what happens. Well, because you know, I like
1: to correct my technicians as to how to pronounce things. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm going to do that, I might as well try to pronounce the tough ones.
0: Well, you know, the thing is you're a risk taker. <laughs> That's what I like about you. I live on the edge. You do live on the edge. It's true. So, all right, Cole will be using generic name only. I'll be using <laughs> brand name so that I sound smart, <laughs> and I uh, can try get through all these biologics and DMARs and all this good stuff. Yeah, great. So, um, I guess we'll just start off with some background information. Uh, obviously, we have done osteoarthritis bef- yes. in the past, so um, we're gonna we'll compare and contrast. That's one in a of our second. early ones, was it? Mm-hmm, I think so. Probably first. 30 if i had to guess oh okay cool um but so it's as opposed to osteoarthritis this is our ra is going to be more of a autoimmune um progressive disorder um affecting obviously primarily the joints um it's a lot of different factors kind of going in obviously some genetic there's some environmental um but it's definitely something that uh is a autoimmune your body attacking itself um causing the the damage and whatnot to the actual joint um let me see so as, as far as like risk factors and things like that, because obviously a lot of these are not modifiable, but, um, women statistically are three times more likely than men to actually develop rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and it does usually affect younger patients. So the average age can be around 25 to 30 to 50, um, somewhere in that range, which is obviously usually with osteoarthritis. We're going to see much older patients that, you know, is when they first get diagnosed. But the, the thing is, elderly patients can develop RA, so it's not like it's it's unheard of or you know, impossible for someone who's older than 50 to develop it. It's just more common in younger. Um, also, positive family history puts you at risk because of the genetic component. Um, smoking um, can put you at risk, so another reason to hopefully get our patients to... To quit their cigarettes and coffee, mm-hmm. which is not a, uh,
1: <laughs> a lot of people in trouble. Yeah, I my, every, wife, my it, wife is in
0: trouble. Yeah, I was just when I taught this uh, this section through PA school, all my all the students were like looking at each other and like, yeah, I was I've like, got yeah, their guys,
1: Starbucks cups sitting right, right there. They
0: all just turned twenty five, <laughs> so you guys are done for.
1: <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So I actually just looked in osteoarthritis was about a year ago, uh, October of last year, and we'll kind of talk through comparing and contrasting those from a, um, diagnostic standpoint and what you can look at. But the big, the big word is autoimmune. That's what, um, RA is. So there's some key pathophysiologic factors that play a role and they're key targets, especially for the biologics. So I'll just name a few of those, um, TNF alpha you've obviously heard of, um, Janus kinase, um, antigen-presenting cells, B-cells, T-cells, so going back to your um, immunotherapy classes um, affecting bone destruction and you have fibroblasts and activated macrophages affecting the um, bone matrix integrating that, um, so various pathophysiologic markers that you're going to be looking at with the drugs. As far as what to look for, in terms of signs and symptoms and what patients might experience and how they're going to describe it, um, some are non specific, but some um, you, you can kind of rule other things out. So, pain and stiffness, uh, like Mike mentioned before, um, mainly in the joints, hands, wrists, and feet, um, tenderness and warmth of a specific joint. Uh, prolonged morning stiffness is characteristic of RA, uh, a little bit different than osteoarthritis. They might have persistent fatigue and muscle weakness, as well as rheumatoid nodules uh, are pretty characteristic of RA.
0: then when it comes to actually looking at labs that try to hopefully diagnose this and differentiate between something else that could be going on. Um, there's a few things that we can look at. So obviously things like rheumatoid factor, which is what you know a lot of times is, is drawn in any kind of rheumatoid condition, um, but it's going to basically show, that's detecting for the presence of um, rheumatoid factor antibody in the blood. Um, so it can be seen in people with RA as well, but only about 70% or so of patients with RA will actually test positive for this antibody. So it's not like a complete definitive... Tests it just can help add to some of the uh, the evidence of your diagnoses. Um, Things like uh, other other inflammatory markers, so like erythrocyte sedimentation rate, um, that's looking for inflammation, and uh, maybe depending on the severity, that can look at the activity of the disease. Um, C reactive protein test or CRP, um, also another kind of a acute phase protein that it's going to happen or increase with acute inflammation. But one of the main kind of uh, tests to get look for is the anti-citrinated peptide antibody, um, so ACPA. So that's going to be, um, it's an antibody that is kind of against that, against cyclic citrinated peptide, um, but that's going to be like the most common sort of essay um, for detecting like early stages of arth- the rheumatoid arthritis. So and then you have to take this on obviously compare it to all the physical exam and things like that so this is not like these are all completely 100% one-stop shop for diagnoses. Right.
1: You put it all together with other things. And some of those other things, like I mentioned before, comparing and contrasting OA to RA. Uh, so as far as onset, osteoarthritis, because it's um, kind of grinding away at the cartilage and bone, is insidious. It happens over many years. Whereas rheumatoid arthritis is grad can be gradual, but it can also be sudden. Um, so usually can be a weeks to months type of timeline as opposed to years. Uh, the stiffness for OA can be a few minutes, it can be localized, um, sometimes it can have a um, a short gelling as it's described after a prolonged rest, whereas RA is a little longer, at least an hour of stiffness, um, but can be longer than that, and it's most pronounced after rest as well. The pain from OA is on motion uh, and with prolonged activity but relieved at rest. RA, you can have pain even at rest because it's, it's autoimmune um, and it can disturb people when they're sleeping. Um, RA can have fatigue, often severe, uh, with an onset four to five hours after rising, whereas with OA, you don't usually have fatigue. Uh, The tenderness localized over the afflicted joint with osteoarthritis is common and also um, common with RA that's the most sensitive indicator of inflammation is that tenderness. Um, There's also swelling in both. Um, Effusion is common in OA. There's little synovial reaction Swelling is also rare. Uh, whereas with RA, it also has a fusion. Um, there's more synovial proliferation and thickening. Um, so you'll see that probably on physical exam, um, often symmetrically. So it's going to happen in both joints. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Whereas OA can, you know, be um, uh, in one joint as opposed to the other. So one wrist and not the other. RA is usually in both. Um, unusual to have heat um, or, or warmth On OA, but it's sometimes present in RA. And joint enlargement can be pretty severe, moderate to severe with RA, uh, but it's usually mild with osteoarthritis, and it usually has a a firm consistency.
0: It's interesting um, because I actually had a patient maybe two weeks ago who was coming to see me for diabetes. You know, I always start off, you know, ask them how they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And uh, before we could even open my mouth about diabetes, she's like, before we even get started, she was like, I just need you to confirm that I do, in fact, have rheumatoid arthritis. I was like, (laughs) all right, (laughs) curveball, I like it. (laughs) So I was like, well, why do you say that? You know, she's very Mm -hmm. much convinced. She's like, well, my mom told me that's what it is. And first of all, this patient was already quite elderly so i assume her mom's medical degree is not (laughs) not uh still is probably probably expired expired, yeah um but uh, i was like okay well why you tell me some more and she's uh she's had this one little bump like in her wrist and she's like i've you know right online they can have rheumatoid nodules i i guess she that was it. She uh-huh. felt this bump and that was the rheumatoid yeah, nodule. It. And it was only in one arm. And she's like, it hurts and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's, there's any other. And I'm like, I'm like, listen to, and I was like, okay. And I'm like, but it's, it's only in the one arm, right? And I felt the other arm is nothing there. And she's like, yeah, it's just this one arm. She's like, but it's definitely a rheumatoid nodule. Like, okay. Well, it might not be. She's like, well, no, 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 My mom already told me it was so again. <laughs> I don't know if her, her license is in, <laughs> it's still good. But um she's uh so it felt like uh, like a cyst to you know to me like a So the mother's a word was
1: not up for debate. It was not at
0: all. And so I said, I'll tell you what, let me go uh I'm gonna grab one of my buddies who's a specialist with this and I'm gonna get him to look at it just to make sure. So I said, I feel like it's a cyst and she and she's like, Okay. And then um she says she, she he uh I go and get, I just get one of my buddies, as a PA he's definitely not a specialist and all right, but I had to get I had to kinda pipe him up and he walks in there and he like feel, you know feels i don't he's like oh yeah this is a ganglion sets Whatever. he's like that's no big deal they just gotta take you know she's like are you sure and i was like he's a specialist He know <laughs> my mom mind. said it was funny and then she was all happy that she never tore up her. well that's no you, other symptoms whatsoever you're making you're making a difference mike <laughs> oh man by lying to patients about yeah. <laughs> my friend's knowledge <laughs> hearts and minds hearts and minds yeah sorry i thought i'd share that long story with y'all Treatment. <laughs> <laughs> the obvious segue. So, first line when it comes to kind of treating our, is are our DMARDs. DMARDs. I like that term mm-hmm. a lot. So, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Um, so, these are going to be kind of, again, like our first line agents. Um, these, although can be effective not always the most effective Um, but they're also side effect profile usually a little bit better than some of our more hardcore biologics and things so as far as starting off with these um, there are plenty of people who can get their RA under control with with just the DMARDs then we can kind of keep them here and not have to worry about jumping into the biologics so to kind of go through them because that's like kind of a class in and of itself Uh, it's there's multiple drugs in this class that are also in their own separate drug classes, which I feel like is kind of a weird thing, but um, it's like an umbrella term. It is. Yeah. So when, when starting one of these, a lot of times, especially if the patient is like first being diagnosed um, and they, especially they're starting off with like moderate to high disease activities, you know, maybe they waited a long time to actually come and be seen. It's not uncommon to start like a low dose steroid sort of as a, like a bridging to help um, while the D, DMARD kind of takes effect. So I'm usually thinking like 10 milligrams of prednisone a day or less. And, um, but again, short period of time to hopefully just kind of reduce some of that inflammation and then give the DMARD kind of some time to, to kick in. Um, and then as far as, you know, if the person doesn't need to be on steroids or something, you can try NSAIDs, but it, there, there's not going to be as much of an effect, yeah. um, in this particular disease state. Right. So, so
1: the first DMARD, mm-hmm. uh, which is our staple and the one that you probably associate most commonly with RA, is methotrexate. Uh, so it's a folate antimetabolite. It inhibits DNA synthesis, repair, and cellular re- replication. Uh, it also inhibits dihydrofolate reductase. So it's going to attack that autoimmune response, and and that's pretty much what all these drugs are doing is is in some way um, inhibiting or uh, making the autoimmune response less. To prevent symptoms and to aid with symptoms. Uh, usual dosage is 7.5 to 30 milligrams once a week. So it's that characteristic once weekly dosing or every seven days. Um, but there's a, a broad range in between the the milligrams that you can, uh, you can prescribe. And, and you'll see methotrexate being used as an adjunct throughout a lot of these therapies as we go throughout. So it's really probably um an oldie but a goodie one that they're they're gonna they're gonna use pretty often even with the new biologic medications Uh, it's oral but it's also sub q and im It does have black box warnings, uh, one for hepatotoxicity, uh, myelosuppression, and mucositis. Uh, It's also pregnancy category X, um, which is no good uh, for pregnancy. It can have adverse effects, nonspecific GI side effects like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, Also, of course, increased LFTs going to that hepatotoxicity, Um, alopecia, and photosensitivity so as far as monitoring you need to get an lft at baseline and then you're going to want to monitor that closely in the uh, early days of therapy so every two to four weeks for the first three months or following a dose increase then every eight to 12 weeks for three to six months and then less frequently depending on how the patient's doing and what the risk factors are Uh, you also want to screen for tb hepatitis b and c before starting methotrexate
0: and this side note, but with hep C screening, did you see that they've changed it now to where they recommend every single patient who's an adult get oh, screened? Really? Not just it the used age to group? be the, the baby boomers mm-hmm. or whatever. And then uh, now they've changed it as more data is coming out. Because really? I think there's a big push to really try to eradicate Just get it out of hep there? Hep C. Wow. And so, yeah, we, we went and changed it in our system, too, so that it flags anyone who's never had one. 18 or older? 18 or older. Wow. I think it's, oh, it's 18 it. to like... 75 maybe or maybe a little bit old. i can't remember the, the cutoff it's it's elderly but yeah it used to be um when much older Born between we, specific yeah, years exactly yeah. before you start screening but now they said every adult at least one hmm. time unless there's risk factors present yeah but there you go extra side no we you should didn't pay for that yeah sure didn't or anything else <laughs> <laughs> so the big thing is with methotrexate because of the potential hepatotoxicity Back in the day, the idea of like a liver biopsy, I think, was a lot more of a. a good idea sort of thing that they like they liked, they liked uh, the, the the old liver biopsy they used to do that for you know hep C and a lot of other things to kind of test for um, any kind of liver damage as far as today's standards um, it's really only going to be recommended um, in a patient before they kind of at the beginning of methotrexate therapy if they have a history of like you know extensive alcohol use um, or if they actually have ongoing hepatitis B or C infections to where there's you know especially C obviously you can get that treated and it'll be good. On um, B, if there's a flare-up going on, just to make sure that there's not any you know, current fibrosis, cirrhosis, anything going on, um, and then also if there's like kind of like this recurring elevation of um, aspartate aminotransferase. But again, I mean, usually speaking, we can kind of look at the LFTs you know, based on our normal ranges and we don't really need to go that route as it's, it's extreme as a liver biopsy anymore. right? Same with hep C for that matter, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Um, but uh, biopsies during methotrexate therapy, um, again, would be recommended only for patients who develop like consistently abnormal liver functions. So you're not going to get a liver function test back and have it be a little elevated next, next stop you're getting liver biopsy. it's going to be continually seeing that come up and not being able to attribute it to anything else maybe at that point checking and seeing what's going on um, the other thing is you need to consider supplementing folate because um since obviously this is going to disrupt uh, that folate synthesis um folate uh when you start to decrease um the uh, or when you yeah when you, the folate levels go down some of those other side effects that have been, including the hepatic side effects but also um, hematological GI those things those risks kind of go up so to, to alleviate that you can supplement with um, folate and the obviously folate one milligram tablets are available but you want to typically give about five milligrams of that um, weekly on the day following the methotrexate dose so you're only doing it you know the methotrexate dose once a week the next day give them five milligrams of folate. Um, and then there are some patients that will take folate, um, daily, but they do the one milligram basically on non, non non-methotrexate days. (laughs) And, uh, again, the one milligram, so make sure you're writing a prescription or, you know, people are with prescriptive authority, um, making sure you're getting them one milligram tablets as opposed to telling them to get it over the counter. Cause I don't, I don't think one milligram is available anywhere over the counter. Is it, have you seen, I, I think it's, I've a, seen. I think it's always point eight is the max. It's usually in like um, prenatals and stuff, mm-hmm. but make sure they get the one milligram. Cause obviously you want to make sure that they are eliminating any potential side effects as well as good as possible.
1: Right. And it's appropriately repleted. Um, Okay, so that's methotrexate, but we will be referencing that throughout the rest rest of this uh, podcast. So the next is laflunamide, which is also another DMARD and uh, immunosuppressive, which was the term I was looking for before when I was so poorly explaining how to suppress the immune system. Um, It's an immunosuppressive drug. It inhibits pyrimidine synthesis, resulting in anti-proliferative and anti-inflammatory effects. It also has a couple of black box warnings. So this is the other one you want to avoid in pregnancy. Uh, It does have a black box warning for embryo fetal toxicity and hepatotoxicity as well, just like um, methotrexate. So uh, before starting, females do need to have a negative pregnancy test prior to starting and use two forms of birth control while they are uh, being treated if they are of um, childbearing age. And if pregnancy is desired, you must wait two years after discontinuation or use an accelerated drug elimination procedure, which we'll tell you about in a second, which was new to me i didn't know that was a thing um it's, uh, avoid if you have pre-existing liver disease or if your alt is greater than uh, two times the upper limit of normal so if those are abnormal this is not going to be the one for you um and then uh, monitor lfts monthly for the first
0: six months of treatment so as far as like the accelerated drug elimination um, there's a couple different options one of which i th- would say is probably a little bit better um the first one i think is the better option would be to do cholestyramine so, eight grams of closed three times a day for 11 days. That's going to help get that medication out of your system a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, and I didn't think about this, but we did neurology just recently with the PAs. And uh, there's the PA drug or the MS drug that we use, um, teraflutamide. And and uh, you same thing, concept is if you, you want to become pregnant or whatever, um, you can use the same accelerated drug elimination with the cholestyramine to get that out of your system as well. So I thought that was good. I mean, yeah, 11 days versus 2 years. I mean, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. I would do it. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I haven't tasted the coolest term because it's that orange juice. It's gross. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you tasted it? No, but I mean. The, I feel like, you know, I was going to say, why just, did you taste it? I've
1: heard stories, but. um, You, you
0: sample, know, sam- I sample every med before. I won't name any
1: names, but um, my texts <laughs> like to joke about this too. There was this one pharmacist that, that we saw. So usually when you're laughing, it's like, you know what I'm
0: about to say. But I don't. But you I was, don't. Just just, the, it was the whole, the, I'm not mentioning names, <laughs> but this person that's ever listening is going to be like, doggone it. I know. Um. Uh. Anyways,
1: you know, when, usually when you're checking and verifying. A mm-hmm. liquid, you smell it, just yeah. make sure it's the right thing, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't have an NDC number on it because it's just in, a, in one of your own bottles. Uh, but there was this one pharmacist who not only would smell it, but taste he, would, it. he would taste it. He would put his pinky on it and somehow maybe the rim or something I mean, yeah i this had i
0: saw one of those tasters happened. as well it's <laughs> disgusting it's like come on
1: man i wonder what he does now during COVID. there's no way if somebody sees him do that they're going to be okay with that right i wouldn't be okay with it if I, like no. if
0: i saw a guy <laughs> dipping his pinky in my <laughs> i'd be like what are you doing that's like a savage
1: i guess but but you know there's also pharmacists who kind of dump the pills on their hand real quick and toss them back in as they're checking them yeah um, but the
0: thing is when i see that him put that pinky in his mouth i want to know how many other (laughs) how many other reconstitutables he's checked that day because i feel like i might be getting a lot of spit in my top of my cap Uh, yeah i don't know about that so you've seen it you've seen it i have i've seen a taster as well nice Kids, don't be tasters. Just <laughs> students. Yeah. be reasonable. Don't, don't do that. Don't be insane. I've
1: had I've even had patients, though, when I smell it, they're like, did you just smell that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just like, oh, I've never seen that. I'm like, well, yeah, it's just how we you know make sure it's the right thing. And she thought that was weird. So I can only imagine if somebody saw them stink their pinky in there. See,
0: I always went with this. It was a kind of a weird method, but my method was always to where I'd like, look at the bottle, mm-hmm. right? And like the part that has the NDC and like the name of the drug, I would just read that. <laughs> and I would assume that my tech didn't pull some kind of tri- in the back and like switch the bottles to like, try to get me fired? Well, they don't always send the bottles down
1: you know so like but you
0: guys always put them in a new like ah mm-hmm. oh, see so mm-hmm. we didn't do that that's yeah. why so it's, it's
1: one of our bottles it's gotcha. so I do know the smells I do know the smells gotcha and if I do not a
0: taster I'm not a taster you're considered it
1: I, I've, I've thought about it you know there's you should the, start you know the ibuprofen suspensions look pretty tasty they do so they there's a tussie
0: neck here I, <laughs> <laughs> I have to test it you're with the coding I don't want someone to get the wrong drug yeah no we don't do that we don't yeah. condone <laughs> the yeah. tasting controls. Oh, yeah. By the way, please don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much. DEA calls us or DEA office calls us. So I was listening to your podcast the other day. Whoops. Yeah. Don't do that, kids. Okay. The other uh, option for Excel, we're getting a lot of tangents. We're going to get some bad emails. I I don't care. Yeah, well. It's what gets me through the day. Rock, paper, scissors. You have to answer them. (laughs) So I apologize for the free podcast. (laughs) So the uh, accelerated drug elimination, the other option would be um, 50 grams of activated charcoal suspension every 12 hours, again, for a 11 days. So I think the cold start may probably would be a better option. I haven't seen any like head to head data on that, but, um, yeah, it sounds like a pretty much better yeah. option. Um, some other kind of warnings and things to keep uh, aware of is with the If as if there wasn't enough already. Um, it can also increase the risk of like severe infections, Steven Johnson syndrome, peripheral neuropathy, and even hypertension. Yeah. So that's not great. Um, and then other more common side effects is uh, nausea and uh, diarrhea, some respiratory infections, rash, headache, things like that. Yeah, you say rash, headache, but I guess if the patients
1: having those, we always say non-specific symptoms so flippantly. But um, I'm sure the patients don't think it's flippant, unfortunately. Probably no, not.
0: Them. But I will say that it's like you know, nausea, vomiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. <laughs> every single drug on the planet is going to yeah. can cause that. Can cause that. Yeah, a lot of these
1: these are tough medications as far as side effects and warnings and monitoring. Um, so yeah, even though this is a very common disease state, um, these are pretty serious drugs. So yeah. the next in line is sulfasalazine. Uh, you probably seen this one because you kind of have to take a lot of these, these pills at once, but uh, this is actually a pro drug. So it's cleaved by bacteria in the colon um, into sulfapyridine and 5 aminosalicylic acid, uh, which you might recognize. Uh, but um, they don't fully understand the mechanism of action, but they assume that the sulfapyridine moiety um, of the drug is responsible for its anti rheumatic properties. <sighs> Uh, it does have some contraindications, so um, based on the name, it does have a sulfa Um so severe sulf allergies, it needs to be avoided, as well as um, salicylate allergies, and if you have some sort of GI or GU obstruction, because then the prodrug won't be cleaved appropriately. Um, Warning, similar to laflunamide, SJS is another um, concern with this one, as well as hepatic failure and pulmonary fibrosis, so monitoring around all those. Other adverse effects, the nonspecific headache and GI side effects, Um, also anorexia, dyspepsia, because it's kind of um, GI associated, and folate deficiency with this one as well. Um, Get your regular LFT and CBC uh, monitoring um, at baseline, then every other week for three months, then monthly for three months, and then quarterly after that. Um. Go ahead. You're gonna say something. I
0: was just. I want. I would be very curious because you know, almost never see this anymore. But I would be very curious to see who actually follows that monitoring schedule.
1: Oh, I. I see the drug dispensed. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as much as methotrexate. Not as much as methotrexate, but maybe more than laflutamide or as much as laflutamide. Hmm.
0: Yeah. The. Uh. I just feel like that's such. A, and I know that's like the package insert, like monitoring parameters. But I just wonder how many people actually. Follow that. Get or, a
1: blood draw every three months. Yeah.
0: yeah. Or like, yeah, I mean, or every other week for three months. Right. Like, and then you first, it just seems like a lot. Yeah. I can't get my vision to come back to <laughs> it's pick difficult. up, you know.
1: Something. But these are serious drugs. I mean, there's a reason they want you to do that because... If, if there can be a significant issue yeah
0: cause um, that yellow orange coloration in the skin and yes. urine it's one of those drugs Um, if I had to pick I'd pick urine <laughs> if I had to change color I would pick I would pick yellow. every day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the um the other thing too that is kind of interesting if you because if you kind of think about how this drug works when it splits into two different um you know it's a pro drug' that's, that it cleaves and splits the the sulfamoid is what we are thinking about when it comes to RA, but also this is the whole kind of mechanism of action that's behind its use being like for like ulcerative colitis and things like that. Um, where that amino salicylic acid would kind of be uh sent down the, the GI tract the rest of the way to be excreted, but that's kind of where you wanted the anti inflammatory effect, or at least we used to until we got better drugs, right? But um, yeah, so it's it's interesting how we took a thing that. Either, one, either way you look at it, from it's byproduct or whatever, you're like, oh, this can treat something different now. Yeah. But anyways.
1: Which sorry. there's, you know, even when we talk about the monoclonal antibodies, a lot of those have multiple indications as
0: well. It's true. They've tried every one for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. They're just throwing random stuff at it. It's <laughs> Do whatever we can You know what? Let's try this MS drug. It's got to be useful. Well, speaking of COVID, what's next on the list? Hydroxychloroquine. Basically the drug of the year, right? My gosh. Yeah. I probably
1: gosh. heard, but that was probably the drug that was named in America more times than any drug this yeah. year. Yeah.
0: More controversial. More controversial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah. believe it or not, it has other uses besides <laughs> It does. besides may or may not working for COVID. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I mean, so not. hydroxychloroquine. Um, this is a drug that uh, when you're looking at oh, the, the DMARDs, this is probably going to be considered like more on the weaker side of things yeah um it's mechanism of action it's it's basically inhibiting the locomotion of neutrophils um and also the chemotaxis of eosinophils um and it's basically going to cause that um Impairment of the complement-dependent antigen-antibody reaction. Um, some warnings to can keep in mind, it can cause irreversible... Oh, everybody ret- already knows these. Retinopathy, okay. They've, well, t- they've, they've
1: talked about it all year.
0: Listen, in case you haven't watched the news, because <laughs> you, it drives you crazy, um, h- h- irreversible retinopathy is obviously the very big one in macular pigment changes, um, and things like cardiomyopathy, bone marrow suppression, um, everything from anemia, leukopenia, thrombocytopenia. So, some definitely some, some big warnings there. Um, adverse effect though, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, abnormal pain, rash, pigment changes of the, the, uh, hair and skin, which again is another rare one, but, these things are always trying to change your skin color and your, your uh, urine color. <laughs> they're, they're tricky like that. They are. They, they're, they're rascals. And then, uh, as far as monitoring, monitoring a lot when it comes to like your CBC LFTs, a lot, a lot more vague with fluor, with hydroxychloroquine. It just says, uh, may, my, you know, just kind of check them periodically. Baseline then periodically. Yeah. Um, now the irreversible retina issue. Um, cause you know, you're not trying to cause irreversible retina damage. It's not what you've not what you want to do. So patients who have, um, risk factors, you know, and for developing this issue and having that retinal damage. So things like low body weight, um, patients who have like renal or hepatic impairment, um, things like that, you would want to make sure that they get an eye exam um, at least annually while they're on treatment to make sure there's not anything going on um and then if uh if patients do not have risk factors for developing retinal damage um get the exam completed within 5 years of starting the hydroxychloroquine and then at that point you kind of move to annual checks right. to make sure right uh, and you mentioned that it was a mild
1: um drug and so usually it's used for mild RA um or as an adjuvant in combination with the DMARD therapy so if if it's more progressive disease um the onset of action can be delayed up to 6 weeks um And if you were taking this drug for more than six months, um, it can be considered a failure if the response has elapsed. So if you're not getting the response you wanted for six months, you would consider that a failure with, um, hydroxychloroquine. The main advantage of it is that it does lack some of the myelosuppressive, um, hepatic and renal toxicities that you see with the other DMARDs. That probably goes towards, um, why the the monitoring is so vague because it's not as nasty as the other ones as far as toxicity goes
0: yeah so uh, yeah that's kind of how i think about this one is either one, a DMR that you can combine with another DMR if needed, because there, there is double and triple therapy options of these in some cases. But also, if you have a patient with all these other issues and things like that, that you're worried about, so you, the tricks that you're just nervous makes you nervous or any of the others, maybe give hydroxychloroquine a shot sure. and see, see how it goes.
1: I mean, I definitely see that commonly, too, because yeah. it was the big concern when um, everybody thought it was going to go in back order. And they were limiting how much you were able to get. Yep. And if insurance companies, pharmacies were, you realize how many people are actually taking it for RA.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting too, because I mean, everybody started, there's some talk about people trying to stockpile it and stuff like yeah. that when we thought the world was ending. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, the, to the point where, I don't know if this was a state or federal thing, but I know in our state, we got letters, pharmacists got letters saying, if you have doctors coming in and writing their own prescription for hydroxychloroquine, don't give it to them. Oh really? Yeah. I, I got a letter from that. It was like a, I think of the board of a medical advisors or whatever, um, was saying that, that they, they don't want physicians, um, Running it for themselves to stockpile and they don't want pharmacists filling it they do do that. I had
1: like a fire chief in our area come, and he was going to all the pharmacies in the area and asking them if they had an adequate supply of Plaquenil.
0: Was that the one that was doing that on his own? Just I don't know. I, I
1: think I, I never had a follow up, so he could have been. But it sounded it sounded legit because he gave me his card, and he was he was like a, a a fire officer in the area, and he was going around making he was he was apparently tasked with making sure everybody had adequate stocks of Plaquenil. Hmm. And if you did enter, had trouble getting it, then he might be able to to get you some, some. Apparently,
0: that's interesting. I know that's a weird task for a fire chief. And I guess it was a public safety thing. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I, I could be very ignorant of this topic, but I just feel like. We could use him more efficiently somewhere else, like in the case of a burning building, <laughs> just to give an example. But there's a lot of downtime, you know, there's not always buildings burning. So, Have you seen 2020? <laughs> a lot of stuff on fire. That's true. But uh, yeah, so those are our, our demarge that we have as options. So, you know, the, the main thing that uh, we want to kind of jump into next episode Ooh. this is the first time we've ever done this to you guys we're is. gonna make we're gonna make we're gonna wait because i know we talked about we're gonna go through biologics and all that we're turning this into a two-part series yeah because sometimes not everyone wants an entire hour long or two hour long episode no there's a
1: lot of good info packed into uh what will come on the next episode and really that's where our pronunciation skills will get uh, tested
0: so what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna be practicing these Daily. Yes. Until it's time. Yes. <laughs> and we can, we have them down pat and I'm still going to use a brain, obviously, but Cole will have perfect pronunciation <laughs> by the time it's, it's ready to go. So, you know feel free to judge him very hard because he's been practicing a lot so anyways all right guys so we're gonna come we'll post another uh, episode very soon and um we'll get you guys the rest of the treatment options go through the tnf alpha inhibitors and all that good stuff but um thank you guys so much for all the love and support on social media and the emails and things like that um you know thank you so much for those of you who subscribed on patreon that's been awesome we're almost 100 people now supporting on patreon that's nice insane and so that's awesome i hope the lectures and stuff on there have been useful um that way if you guys are hating our side changes, some you know tangents and whatnot i still give some of those in my class unfortunately but um there's less for sure it's a lot more there's of not a, me to distract you this, yeah that's true it's, but anyways
1: <laughs> like just now just now <laughs>
0: don't <Doggone> it i <laughs> oh, what i was saying <laughs> but patreon it's on there check it out it's cool we have uh, slide sets and um all my lectures from the like talking with the pa students and whatnot so So, um, various disease states and I got like probably eight more that are in the, in the, uh, batter's box, so to speak. (laughs) So it'd be a lot more um, content coming on there. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us, email us, send us a, uh, you know, message on Instagram or any other social media platform. And, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you and chatting with you a little bit. Y'all have a great one. See you.